A little bit of a different uh, intro there for us. I thought I'd start out with something kind of fun, kind of nostalgic. Um, that was the old Scooby-Doo theme, like the really old one, the one from like the late 1960s, I think. Um, that's the one I... Now, I'm not that old, don't get me wrong, but when I was a little kid, they used to play the reruns of that. And so when I would watch the Scooby-Doo cartoons... That's the theme that I remember watching growing up on my local affiliate. Um, so I'm kind of dating myself a little bit, but uh, but no, I was not born in the 1960s, so don't get me wrong on that. I'm not not quite that old, but um, but anyway, we were going to talk about Halloween or creepy related stuff. Uh, for those of you who follow my Instagram, I uh, put out a request that said, "Let's talk about some." creepy or spooky related topics. So I said, give me some ideas. Uh, by the way, my Instagram is at anatomy and the dead. There's an underscore in between each word. And so many of you guys and gals, um, you know, gave me some things you were interested in talking about. And they were many of the same things that I already had in my own mind. And so um, there's a lot of things to talk about. It's really kind of a big sampler platter of future episodes, things that we're going to talk about in more detail, but I'm going to break them up over at least two episodes for this month. We're going to do one this week and probably one next week, hopefully. And, um, you know, this is just going to be kind of lighthearted, quick hitting stuff, um, simple definitions, couple little stories that I'll tell you. And, um, you know, I'll get into that in just a moment. I also want to say that, uh, just do really quick, um, you know, kind of recap last time we talked about the, um, you know, what it takes to become a medical examiner. I know that people, uh, didn't get a lot of feedback on that one because I mean, you know, there's really not much to say. It's, it's kind of like, here's the educational path and you either want to do it or you don't, or, or you feel like it's too much or it's just maybe not right for you. A lot of people um, found it illuminating, um, and hopefully it helped for those of you who are interested. Um, I think I covered most everything, but if you want to listen to that, you can go listen to it on the podcast, or you can go to my YouTube channel, which is uh, of the same name of the, as this podcast, which is knifeafterdeath.com. No, it's not .com. That's my website. But the YouTube channel is Knife After Death. And um, basically what I've been doing is I uploaded the audio from the podcast. And I just want to say that I am eventually going to put video with audio. So you're going to see me talking about these topics. And I might even be teaching with images Um perhaps behind me on a green screen or something for future podcasts. And, you know, in the distant future, I might even have guests and things like that. So I kind of have some big ideas for this uh, over the next year to maybe two years. So for right now, it's going to be audio and then I'm going to upload the audio to YouTube. And you may be saying, well, why would you do that? Why would you upload something audio 
to YouTube uh, makes no sense. Well, I found out that a lot of people actually said they don't want to download Spotify or they don't want to download the iTunes podcast app um, or other various podcast app. Um, and well, you know, that's their choice and that's cool. Uh, some people just want to click start on a YouTube video and listen to it or let it play in the background while they're studying or something. And that's cool. So I went ahead and uploaded the audio for all my podcasts so far. This one will also be uploaded. And this one, I'm going to try to do something a little bit different um, because this one's going to have some specific examples I'm going to talk about. So I'm going to try to put a few images up, uh, almost like a slideshow if I can, on the background of that YouTube video. So if I talk about some things today that you say, hmm, I'd like to see what that looks like. Well, you might want to go to my YouTube channel and then click subscribe, of course. Um, and then, you know, you can click on the podcast for episode seven. That's what this one is. And then watch it and you'll see some of the images I talk about. And I'll have them labeled. And I have to tell you, the podcast audio will go up before the YouTube will because I have to change it to a different file format. And there's a bunch of technical stuff I don't want to get into because we need to just kind of get going on today's podcast. I also want to say that I may do ads today. Um, I, there's basically a button I click at my podcast host, which is uh, just, you know, it's technical stuff. But I just want to say um, with election season coming up, if some of those ads happen to be political ads, I don't endorse because I, I don't know what are what's going to come up. It may be ads for Pine Sol for all I know, but um, they may be political ads. I don't have any role. I'm just going to click it and see what happens. I'm going to probably listen to the podcast myself and then say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I sound like such an idiot. But that's another story. Um, so anyway, let's get to the spooky stuff today, the creepy stuff. Now, uh, first of all, let's let's address that that word, creepy, spooky, you know, scary, the whole thing. Um, I'm not trying to say that, oh, let's, let's make death scary and spooky. And, you know, I'm trying to perpetuate, you know, stereotypes because I'll get emails and I'll get texts and I'll get DMs about, no, Dr. Wolf, you're perpetuating all these stereotypes about death and we're trying to be death positive and all this stuff. And the thing is, most of the people listening to this are not in mortuary science. They're not forensic pathologists. They're not, um, you know, people in the so-called death care industry. And so they are listening um, as a layperson and things like death or dead bodies may fall under the heading of creepy or scary. So these are uh, topics that I kind of mind the public for. I said, what do you guys find scarier, creepy, and you want me to talk about? So the things that I'm going to talk about today are based on those subjects that I ask people about. So um, I'm not trying to actively scare you or say that it's creepy. If It's really subjective. I mean, to me, it's not scary or creepy because it's my job. It's just like if I was a mailman and mail is probably not scary to the mailman. Well, dead bodies are really not scary to me too much. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, you know, so what, 
what are some of the things, and I'm just going to bounce around from topic to topic, because like I said, I have to break these up over two episodes at least. And one of the things people asked were, have you had deaths um, you know, on Halloween or autopsies related to people who died on Halloween in crazy costumes or crazy scenarios? And, uh, well, the answer is no, I actually haven't. <laughs> I, uh, I haven't had any sort of mass murder, uh, Halloween type stuff. Although, um, I did have a guy who was killed on Halloween, not dressed. Um, he was not wearing a costume, but he was wearing a hockey mask and he wasn't playing hockey. So, you know, we came in. Yeah. So we came in and, uh, you know, opened the body bag and then there's this guy and he's got a hockey mask on and it's Halloween, which of course that's more of a Friday the 13th thing, but you know, the whole scary movie thing. So that's probably the only uh, costumey, creepy Halloween type thing I've had. Um, the fact is every Halloween for me has unfortunately had really tragic sad cases, um, which, uh, are really beyond this, this podcast, uh, let's say the lighthearted nature of what I'm trying to do for this part, this podcast. Um, it seems like every Halloween I do end up with like murders and like horrible accidents and children and things like that. It's, it's, uh, it's been a really unfortunate and I'm hoping maybe this Halloween I'll, I'll get a break, but, uh, I'm not holding my breath on that. So, so to answer your question, uh, whoever asked that, no, I, I haven't um, had any odd Halloween costume uh, or unusual deaths in that way. So now let's talk about something that I find a little bit unsettling, at least, you know, maybe earlier in my career. I think I still find it unsettling, and that is very warm bodies, performing an autopsy on a very warm body. So why would I do that? Because I know you're probably picturing, well, Dr. Wolf, you're, uh, you know, getting this body out of the cooler. Why would it be warm? Well, that's not always the case. Um, one case in particular, I can remember the, uh, I was performing autopsies and I had done a couple in the morning and I was ready to leave and they called me and they said, hey, we've got a person who has just uh, passed. They've just died. And if you're still in the building, uh, we'd like for you to do the autopsy. And I was thinking, okay, well, that's that's fine. I, I guess I'm here because I don't want to drive all the way back after I get home. So they brought the body in and to touch the body, um, I mean, there was no difference between a sleeping, warm a live human being, and then this particular body. And I have to tell you, it was pretty unsettling because, you know, you expect to feel that body cold. And when that body's cold, you know, okay, they're dead. And when you uh, place that knife at their chest, that scalpel, and you make the cut, you're not ever worried about uh, anybody jumping or or coming to life because, you know, you hear about these stories in in maybe other countries where, death, uh, certification is not, uh, or death investigation rather is maybe not as stringent. And so people get taken to the morgue prematurely. Well, this is a case where somebody, you know, had died. Um, and then 
I'm basically cutting into them maybe 30 minutes later, something like that. So that doesn't happen very often, but I do get a little bit unsettled uh, when they are too warm. And I'll tell you uh, in just a moment, one of the uh, the first uh, tests that we do that ensures that they are in fact dead, um, that's going to be in just a moment. But I, I want to talk uh, just briefly. Uh, we We've... I think one of the earlier podcasts we talked about people who um, maybe get ill or get sick uh, during autopsies. I haven't really made a big uh, spectacle of that because, you know, not everybody can handle it. But uh, most people do well during autopsies. But I do remember one case where I was autopsying a guy and and we had a new person in there who had never seen an autopsy before and she did really well. She was doing well. Uh, you know, she observed the whole thing. The blood didn't bother her. The smell wasn't so great, but she did okay. And I remember uh, reaching into this guy's abdomen, and he had only died, you know, maybe eight hours before. I reached into his abdomen, and I said to my assistant, oh, my, he's very warm. And this girl, uh, she, you know, I, I'm not sure who she, what uh, agency she was with, but, again, this was her first autopsy. She just looked white. She turned gray and she just ran out of the room and never looked back. I never saw her again. Um, I don't even know where she went. She may have ran. She may still be running. It's been a year from now. Um, so, yeah, uh, that there's something about that uh, declaration of the warmth of the body. It set her off. And I was just making an observation to myself. I wasn't trying to trigger her at all. In fact, I I didn't think that it would... Uh, would bother anyone in a strange kind of way a warm body as unsettling as it is it's actually um it kind of feels like better on your hands because you're wearing gloves right and usually your hands are very very cold and i don't i personally don't like for my hands to be cold it, it my fingers hurt and my hands are cold in the winter and so when i actually do have my hands doing an autopsy on someone very warm it, it actually feels kind of good. Is that weird? Maybe that's weird. You've probably just shut the podcast off and unsubscribed. But still, you have to trust me here. Um, so what other things? Uh, you know, when we talk about warm bodies, we, we worry about people being uh, still alive. Actually, we don't worry about that at all. Um, the death has been, you know, certified. I've never had anybody flinching or moving after death. Um you know, you hear rumors and you hear, um, you know, uh, kind of like urban legends of bodies sitting up and things like that. I've never seen that happen. Um, I'm going to do in season two, I'm going to do an entire episode on myths. Um, that's going to be uh, a really good episode because there's a lot of misconceptions about death. There's very little movement after um, death. The problem is when you have rigor mortis or rigor mortis, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, when, when that is developing and the muscles are contracting, sometimes you can get a little bit of movement if, if you are, uh, moving the arms or trying to move a certain part of the body, it will resist you, but it generally, it won't move on its own. You're never going to see a body sort of sit up on its own. You're never going to see eyes move. Someone asked me, do the eyes move? And, um, I, I can tell you if the, if the eyes start moving, I'm not going to do this job anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to find something else to do. Um, and that does bring me to my next point, which is um, the first test that we do. One of the first things that we do 
is when we uh, we examine the eyes, or I examine the eyes, and um, you know, you you look into the eyes of a person who's dead, and do you see anything different? Well, you know, that was one of the questions, and the answer is no. I mean, uh, you know, the the eyes, especially recently after death, let's say within forty eight hours, twenty four or forty eight hours, it looks very much the same. The cornea is often very clear, and the pupil looks fine. The iris looks fine. The wa- the eye just looks normal to me. Doesn't react to light, obviously, because there's no nerve function. If you shine a light in there, nothing's going to happen. But the the way that we are 100% sure that the person is dead is we draw vitreous humor, vitreous fluid out of the eye with a needle. Well, this is not some kind of barbaric medieval torture. We do this because it is part of the toxicology collection. We take a needle, usually like a 14, 16, 18-gauge needle, attach it to a syringe, and then we actually insert it into the white of the eye. That's called a sclera. And I'm not going to go through all the technical aspects of it. There is actually a little video on my YouTube um, that demonstrates that, uh, this procedure. And we draw in the clear fluid of the eye, and that is a toxicology specimen. That's very unsettling to some people. I know that some people have had to leave the room on that one. There's something um, visceral about seeing the needle go into the eye and then draw the fluid. It, It sets some people off. The point I'm making is that you know they're dead if you put the the needle into the eye and there's no movement. And of course, I've never seen any kind of reaction to that. Thank goodness. Uh, and eyes in general, um, we see a lot. Uh, we make a lot of observations of eyes at the autopsy. So, you know, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about eyes because, you know, we always see images. We're talking about the Halloween episode. And we're talking about, um, you know, the images of... Of we see a lot of eyes, eyeballs. I don't know why eyeballs are just like Halloween. Why are there, why are there always pictures of eyes and there's candy that's just like eyeballs? Where did that come from? Um, but in forensics, the eyes are very important. Um, there's a a thing we look for. You may have seen it. It's called um, tache noire, um, which is basically like um, a blackened or darkened area. It's a band across the front of the eye, and what that is is when a person dies and their eyes are remain open slightly, the sclera itself will start to dry. And when it dries, it, it, it darkens. And so when you open the eyelids further, it forms a band across the eye. And so it forms like a black band. And that's, that's the translation of that uh, particular word. And I'll try to show an image of that on the, um, you know, on the, um, the YouTube audio slash video that I put up. Um, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just a post-mortem finding. And so, you know, you always see the old movies where someone dies and then somebody, you know, closes their eyes, puts penny, pennies on their eyes. It's because you get these changes of the eyes after death. You can also get cor- uh, corneal clouding, clouding of the cornea. Um, you see that a lot in, uh, you know, in movies, what happens in zombie movies, right? They they turn into a zombie, and then like four seconds after they turn into a zombie, their eyes or their corneas are completely white. I never understood the pathophysiology of that. Like, what is it about turning into a zombie that instantly 
your corneas become white. Um, I've always, you know, wanted to kind of delve into that a little bit. My book doesn't really go into that. Um, we'll, we can probably talk about my book uh, in a couple of episodes, but uh, that always bothered me. It always bothered me too how as soon as you become a zombie, um, your teeth, no matter how nice your teeth are, then all of a sudden you have, um, you know, a lot of dental decay and periodontal disease. So you get bit and then like four seconds later you have bad teeth. So, um, you know, there's some continuity problems, I think, with some of these these zombie um, movies that, that I really want to work on at some point. So back to eyes. Um, we look at pupil diameter. Sometimes the pupils can be asymmetric. You've heard, um, and I know that there are a lot of people um, in trauma and nursing and things like that who listen to this, and you've heard of the so-called blown pupil. That's where somebody has an intracranial injury or hemorrhage. Um, so in other words, a brain injury, and sometimes you can have an asymmetric pupil where you have the one pupil is huge. It's like nine millimeters or even a centimeter. It's very um, irregular looking, and then the other pupil will be like four millimeters. And sometimes we'll see that at the time of autopsy and we'll already have a clue that there's been a head injury. Um, the other thing we can look at is, well, with pupil diameter, is certain drugs can cause extreme pupillary constriction and some drugs can cause pupillary dilation. So sometimes, and I'm not going to go into all the pharmacology of that because, you know, we, we will get to that in, in great detail in future episodes. But the point I'm making is that uh, you can look at the pupil itself and then maybe get a clue of what type of um, toxicology panels or drugs to look for and maybe even correlate that with what was found at the scene, what types of drugs or paraphernalia was found at the scene uh, based on some of the physical findings that you see, even with just looking at the eyes. Um, other things we look for in the eyes um, would be would include petechiae, petechiae or petechiae. Uh, and these are just little hemorrhages, little tiny uh, pinpoint hemorrhages in the eyes. And we can see those when there is a pressure differential uh, in the jugular and carotid veins. And uh, frequently we see this in um, things that compress the neck. So you can see it in strangulation. You can also see it in hanging. Well, you can also see it in anything that compresses the chest or the abdomen. Uh, for instance, if um, I've had uh, unfortunate cases where a person was working on a car, the car jack broke out, fell onto the person, crushed the, their chest and abdomen, and then you'll look in their eyes and you'll see all these tiny little hemorrhages, and those are petechial hemorrhages. So um, we look for petechiae. And uh, that's a very common finding. Some people will jump the gun and, and see petechiae and think, aha, this must be homicide. It's uh, you know, strangulation death because there's a pressure differential between the jugular vein and the carotid artery. But in fact, that pressure differential can occur with hangings as well. Um, in particular, if there is a hanging that's not a full suspension hanging. So what I mean is with hangings, you can hang from a beam like the old uh, judicial hangings. You you can picture people um, like a hangman's court where they you know sort of um, drop the uh, the board out from under them and then they fall. That's different from a 
a person who might hang themselves from a door, but their feet are still on the ground or hang themselves from a, a clothesline bar in a closet, but their knees are on the ground. That's called a partial suspension hanging. And what happens is, is that um, it doesn't create um, an instant pressure differential. And that, as a result, um, this pressure, uh, changing pressure rather, between the carotid and the jugular results in these burst blood vessels in the eyes. So yes, there's a lot to see uh, in the eyes. And uh, that does bring me to another question from the, the fans who said, have you ever found anything in the body that didn't belong there that you had no explanation for? And I had to think about that because, yes, I have found lots of things in people's bodies, but there was usually an explanation, some of which were, you know, fairly straightforward, if you know what I mean. Um, but one time, well, actually, it was, um, it was on my cadaver in medical school. We were, um, we were dissecting the head. And, of course, these dissections are far more um, advanced and far more um, detailed than the forensic dissection because in a forensic pathology – you know, we're doing an autopsy in an hour, an hour and a half, but, you know, the corpse in a gross anatomy is a nine-month procedure usually, and we're in there two or three days a week working on it. Well, we were dissecting the eye area, the orbit, the area around the eye, including the eyelid, and so we dissect into this guy's eyelid, and lo and behold, he's got this um, goal, it's like a, it's like a bar or a metal plate inside of his eyelid and it's unlike anything we've ever seen anybody in my group the the dissectors in my group there's this metal plate inside of this guy's eyelid and so then we of course you know trying to be cool smart medical students we go to the books we can't find anything on it we ask our professors we can't find anything on it and then it starts to get spooky because we're starting to think is this guy have some kind of imp some kind of alien implant I mean, we really started get, getting conspiratorial about this. We, we really had no idea what was happening um, with, this, uh, with this guy's gold plate in his eyelid. Uh, and I say gold. I don't know that it was actually made of gold. It was a gold color. It could have been made of something else. But um, we asked uh, some local doctors as well, and we never found out. We never... Um, we never actually found out, and that's always bothered me. So if anyone listening to this knows uh, what that might be, you can solve a mystery that's uh, about 20 years old. And, you know, it doesn't burn in my soul enough for me to really have spent a lot of time on it after my gross anatomy class. So, um, you know, I'm, maybe I'm being a little lazy about it, but I'm pretty sure the guy did not have an alien implant at all. Um, we theorized that it was probably a situation where there was a nerve paralysis of some sort and his eye was perpetually, the eyelid was perpetually open and that the metal plate itself weighted the eyelid down so that he could close his eyelid and his eye wouldn't dry out. You know, I have to understand that I did my gross anatomy approximately 20 years ago and that the cadaver that I did the dissection on was well over 80 years old. So he was born, you know, um, in the early part of the 20th century. So there were some technologies that have probably been well outdated. You know, this is a, a person who 
would have been uh, pre-World War II, you know, a young man. So um, anyway, yeah, it was a little creepy. I mean, for a couple of days there, my, my lab mates and I were really weirded out because we didn't know if maybe there was some, you know, extraterrestrial forces at work there, but uh, we could never prove it. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Um, wanted to talk mainly in this first episode about, uh, you know, things on the surface. And we talked about temperature. We talked about eyes. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about that. The next episode, we're going to talk about bugs like maggots and things like that. I will give you a preview on the first episode, uh, the next episode. Um, because my last couple have been so long, I wanted to make these Halloween episodes a little shorter so you didn't have a really long episode to trudge through. So um, these are going to be a little bit shorter, uh, short and sweet, hopefully. Um, basically, uh, so again, we're going to stay on the surface here. And if anyone saw my Instagram, you saw that uh, I recently made a post um, some of you I know probably don't follow my Instagram, so I'll just tell you that you can get goosebumps after death, okay? And um, that goosebumps, the condition, is is has a technical term called cutis and serena. So if you want to impress anyone, you can see when they have goosebumps, you can say, oh, look, you have cutis and serena. And then they'll just probably look at you really strangely, but that's cool. You, you know something now that a lot of people don't know. And what that comes from is cutis. The word cutis, of course, translates to skin. And anserina, the uh, first five letters there, answer, A-N-S-E-R, refers to goose. And of course, goose bumps or goose flesh is what we refer to that to. So why can you get goosebumps after death? Well, the reason is, is that each hair follicle has a tiny little muscle, and I mean tiny, I mean microscopic, and it's called the erector pili muscle. And just like all muscles in the body, when the erector pili, I'm sorry, when you die, you go into rigor mortis. The body goes into rigor mortis, and sometimes it starts in the jaw, and sometimes it starts in the large muscles of the body, so the thighs and the arms, and the chest and the trunk, the back. But eventually it makes its way to the smaller muscles of the body, such as the erector pili muscle uh, of, the, of the hair follicles. And so as that muscle develops, the rigor mortis, this tiny, tiny little band of muscle, it causes the hair to stand on end. And you can get goosebumps after death, cutis and serena. So I don't see it on every corpse, um, but I do see it on some. I don't even, sometimes I note it in the autopsy report, sometimes I don't. Um, it's not a hugely important finding. It's just something that uh, it's interesting to point out. And I do want to actually uh, point out some other very unusual uh, finding, which I'm sure will shock the listeners, is that, like I said, all uh, muscles... Uh, after death, can undergo rigor mortis, right? So we have the erector pili muscles um, in the in the hair follicles, which can produce the um, you know the goose flesh or the cutis anserina. But you can actually also have ejaculation if you're a male after death, and that is because of rigor mortis of the cremasteric muscle, which is. Um, 
sort of in the spermatic cord, and that is a part of the reflex uh, of ejaculation before death. Um, but after death, the, when that develops rigor mortis, you can actually uh, have a very small amount of ejaculate, which it can be seen at the time of autopsy. And uh, this has been written about. It's in every forensic textbook. And you do sometimes see it. Um, this is uh, sometimes um, a, a beginner, a noob, as they say, um, can see this and think that this is a sign of sexual activity immediately before death. And this is important in cases where you have, you know, rape or something like that. But in fact, this is not the case. Very often or most often, if you see a small amount of semen uh, right there uh, after death, it is actually just post-mortem ejaculation. So yes, there's your super fun fact that you can tell people and then you're immediately going to say, you have to subscribe to this guy's podcast. I've never seen or heard anything like it. Um, it'll be worth your time. Okay. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk a little more. I'm probably going to, I was going to talk a little bit more about uh, old corpses, um, such as skeletons or bodies that have been in water. I think I'm going to move that to episode two because episode two uh, is going to talk a little bit more about uh, bodies that have been underground and things like that. But I wanted to hit one more topic. You know, I should have maybe I ended on the, uh, the ejaculation one, right? But I am going to end on one more topic because to me personally, this one is one of the creepier um, elements of the autopsy, and it doesn't happen on every case. It is part of the decomposition process, okay? And it's called degloving. Okay, so for those of you who are autopsy technicians or forensic people, uh, death investigators, you already know what I mean when I say degloving. For those of you who aren't, well, let me just explain what it is. When the body starts to break down uh, due to decomposition, you the some of the areas that start to uh, come off first are the hands, the skin of the hands and the skin of the feet. Hence, you can hear the root word glove, de-gloving. De, you know, meaning to remove or get rid of. So, um, yeah, it's what it sounds like. But this isn't the bad part. And by the way, this can happen. Degloving can happen in decomposition. It can also happen in bodies that are, have been in water for a while. Uh, bodies, for instance, that die in a bathtub and nobody finds them for three days. Bodies that are pulled out of rivers, lakes, and things like that. But what happens is, very often in decomposition... Uh, or people where we don't have a positive identification, we have to get fingerprints. Well, for a degloved individual, you can uh, for a individual who is degloving, you can actually slip off the hand skin. Okay, and it is intact. It is like a literal glove, and with the nails intact as well, because the fingernail is in continuity with the skin, and then. A, another person can put that skin, skin glove, on their hand and get fingerprints for the police. So I have seen it done a few times. 
and it actually works. And they have actually got identifications with using a degloved hand skin on another person's hand. Okay, this is something like Ed Gein. If you don't know who that is, um, go Google Ed Gein and then you'll probably never sleep again. Okay, his last name, G-E-I-N. So I'll let you do that. That'll be part of your Halloween research there. Um, anyway, what the reason why this is, is because with the skin, you've got the layers of the skin, the epidermis and the dermis, and then below that, you've got the subcutaneous tissue. Well, on the skin of the hands and some areas of the body, it's thicker at the epidermis because there's a thicker, um, corneal layer. That's why, you know, our skin's waterproof is the corneal layer. And uh, that's the thick keratin. So the the skin of our hands has very thick keratin. Well, what happens is during decomposition is that the epidermis separates from the the underlying dermis, but it stays together. It doesn't just fall apart like mush. And so you can actually carefully slip off all five fingers intact, the palm intact, and slip it right on your hand. That's not something I'm interested in doing at all. But I've had a couple of techs who have been interested in doing that, and they sort of enjoy uh, putting that degloved hand on their hand with a with a glove on and getting the fingerprints. Now I have to say, as that is the creepiest thing probably at autopsy. Um, that you know, at least from an external exam perspective. Uh, it doesn't make me sick or it doesn't, uh, you know, make me run out of the room screaming, but it's just a little bit um, unusual. Let's put it that way. Um, because who wants to put somebody else's hand on their hand, right? Um, but yeah, that's interesting. But the other thing is the feet do the same thing. And you can see the feet with uh, the fingernail, the uh, toenails intact with the polish on the toenails and everything. In fact, the image I'll put on my YouTube audio file of this is of a case where the um, feet were completely degloved. And you can see that uh, it's a really weird image. But, um, you know, it is something that happens uh, very often. You can also see it with heat, sometimes with um, deaths in which there's a, a very high heat nearby. Um, not necessarily pure flame because obviously that will burn and char the skin but if it's very hot and the body's not decomposed yet the skin will start to break down very rapidly so this is probably where i want to stop episode one like i said i wanted to make it a little bit shorter because we've got a lot of topics to cover and episode two is going to be interesting we're going to talk about uh, very old corpses such as skeletons. We're going to talk about adipocere, which are uh, is type of decomposition for uh, bodies that die in the water or bodies that are thrown in the water. We're going to talk about exhumed bodies, bodies that are taken out of the ground, either in caskets uh, or maybe not in caskets. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Dismembered bodies, because now we're getting into the really creepy stuff. Um, so bodies where um, either they've been chopped or they've been torn apart in some sort of horrible accident or, uh, you know, plane crash or, or car accident or something like that. So we're going to talk about dismemberments. And then under the realm of decomposition, we're going to talk about 
um, maggots and beetles and spiders and things like that. Um, and then if I can't fit that all into episode two, we'll split it into a third episode. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but it's going to be, like I said, this is a big sampler platter of, uh, forensic, uh, interest here. And hopefully you enjoyed this first episode of somewhat creepy, spooky, forensic topics. I don't know how creepy it was, but definitely I hope you learned something. And um, we will be back soon. I'm going to try to turn these Halloween episodes around at least once a week, right up until uh, the end of the month. And um, so thanks for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, you can, you know, go ahead and you probably can find me pretty easily. Um, I've got my YouTube, um, the website's uh, knifeafterdeath.com, same for the YouTube. Um, Instagram is Anatomy and the Dead, and um, there you go. All right. Thank you very much. I don't care what the weatherman says, when the weatherman says it's raining, you never hear me complaining, I'm certain the sun will shine. I don't care how the weather vane points, when the weather vane points to gloomy, it's got to be sunny to me when your eyes look into mine. Creepers, creepers, where'd you get those creepers? Creepers, creepers, where'd you get those eyes? Cause y'all get up, how'd they get so-